0: give us. God, we thank you for your love for us, for your word that, that tells us about your plan and what you've done for us, God. We just thank you, Jesus, for just moving in our hearts today, God. You would change mindsets in our, that we have, that you'd change our thinking about things that we would not trust in our own strength, but Lord, we would trust in your strength. God, we just pray that you would have your way in us today, God, I just pray that you would speak to every person, every, every heart, every mind, every life here today, that you'd help us to be the people you've created us to be, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How about you turn to the person beside you and say, give him a high five for Jesus. And uh, I want to really encourage you. If you just put up the PowerPoint, that'd be great. Uh, I really want to really encourage you this morning that I have, I have a great power and privilege. Um, I'm going to wait till they hear this, because otherwise they might regret it. I I have a great great power and a great privilege, whoops, Um, I have a great power and privilege this morning in that if I see anyone falling asleep this morning, I have the power to shift the speaker. And if you weren't here earlier, I just want to say, I'm not telling you what happened, but it has never happened in this, the life of this church before. If you're a visitor for the first time this morning, that's not something we, 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 we regularly do. <laughs> and if you're not understanding because you weren't here yet, then um, don't ask anyone, I mean, we're not going to tell you. Um, but I have the power to shift that speaker, and uh, if you fall asleep, um, we'll, we'll wake you up. <laughs> um. <laughs> God doesn't want His church asleep. He wants His church awake, and that's why we're looking at the Reformation, 500 years on. Actually, I'm just going to put that out of the way. Um, 500 years on from the Reformation, as of Tuesday, is the day 500 years later to when Jesus. Jesus. Are you listening? It wasn't Jesus 500 years ago. It was Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the church castle door, castle church door, in Wittenberg, in Germany. And this morning we're focusing on sola fide, faith alone. We talked about the five solas last week, the five key beliefs that came out of the Reformation. It's in grace alone, God's grace alone. It's through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed by Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. There's those five solas we're looking at over these five weeks. And before we look at today's topic, I just just got a little video we're going to have play. And if you weren't here, hopefully this brings you up to speed a little bit, really quickly, in this couple of minute
1: video. 500 years ago, a German monk named Martin Luther started a protest that exploded into a worldwide movement. At that time, Europe lived in the shadow of the Roman Catholic Church, and that was more like an empire than a church. It crowned and cast down kings, used its dominance to keep people in the darkness of superstition. That sounds pretty unfamiliar, but in some ways, Luther's day was very much like our own. Just like today, everyone had an opinion about the Bible, even though almost no one actually read it. Like so many of us, they were trusting the thought leaders and tastemakers of their own day to tell them what was in the Bible and whether or not to believe it. Luther was one of the very few people actually reading the Bible, and what he found was earth-shattering. Even though he was a monk, Luther hated the God of the Bible, and when he studied it, the world around him began to make sense, God made sense. The significance of Jesus became clear to him. He discovered the answer to his deepest questions, how could evil be overcome? Specifically, how could his own evil, his own sin, be dealt with. Luther discovered that he couldn't do anything to fix this problem himself. He had to rely on the finished work of Christ alone. Luther had discovered a central truth. It changed his life, and it changed the world. The Protestant Reformation was about two things. It was about who can say what's true, and it was about how to reconcile who we are with who God is. It recognized that God's Word is the ultimate authority in this world and that the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ are the only answer for evil and the only basis on which sinners can stand before a holy God. The Protestant Reformation is a story of transformation, a transformation from hate to love, from slavery to freedom and from blind faith to a glorious discovery of the truth in Jesus Christ. Ligonier Ministries exists to cultivate this transformation in a new generation. In a day when few are reading the Bible and when confusion reigns in the church, we want to help Christians know what they believe and why they believe it, how to live it, and how to share it. Join us.
0: Here we go. very brief summary of the Reformation, what it's about. And the Reformation went on to change not just the religious world, but the world in its entirety and the way it's affected uh, history um, is acknowledged around the world. And this morning we're going to look at only faith, faith alone. You see, in, Rome, in, um, in Luther's day, in the Roman Catholic Church, there was a number of beliefs it had that were not about faith alone. At the time in the church that Luther um, was a part of, and he saw he saw that infant baptism had become the normal thing, indulgences had been introduced to reduce the time in purgatory, and also, you might say, to pay for the church renovations they were planning to do. You'd be happy to know we haven't said that God told us that everyone has to give more this year because uh, your sins need forgiving more so we can pay for our hall. That's not how God does it. Uh, they set up confession or penance as something that one must do to obtain absolution for sins, that you must go to the priest and as you confess to him, he gave you absolution for sins to reduce your time in purgatory. It was not biblical. And they made last rites a ritual to cleanse a sinner before death. I've got to admit, when I first became a pastor and I was called to hospital beds of, of dying people and some people would say to me, Andrew, do you do the last rites? And I'm like, um, we'll pray. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, do you do last rites? It's like, well, we're going to pray. But basically, last rites was a, a ritual that was instituted to say, and it was based basically on this belief that baptism washed away your sins, and then but from baptism onwards, you had to deal with your own sin, that you had to uh, venerate the saints, another idea that was merged at the time of the Romanization of the, the church through Constantine. And that last rites became a time when the priest had to come, sins had to be confessed, communion had to be taken again, and then you would be absoluted from your sins. It was not biblical, it was a, a thing that had been instituted through tradition, through the Romanization of the church. And it was something that Luther and others at that generation were, were completely against. They, they were, had a holy discontent with what was happening in that day. But I wonder today, what, what's, what do people rely on? What do people believe in about God, forgiveness in heaven? What do people rely on to, to make us right with God in 2017? You know, I think, to be honest, confusion reigns. I think there is so many ideas in our world today about what, who God is, about what He's like, about how we find forgiveness, or, or what heaven and hell look like, or if there is a heaven and hell, that people just think, this is crazy, no one, can, no, no one agrees, I, I haven't studied it, I give up, I'm just going to say, oh, who knows. And confusion reigns, I think, for so many people in our society today. They're agnostic, they don't know what they believe, they, they're not sure, it's too hard to decide. But the reality remains that even when there is confusion, it doesn't make truth wrong. If I asked everyone in the church right now to quickly tell me what's seventeen times fifty two, I think all give me an answer really quickly. I would imagine confusion would rain. <laughs> Except someone just said it no. no. Um, confusion doesn't mean there's not a right answer. It means most people that didn't have the right answer are wrong. And just because confusion reigns today doesn't make truth any less the truth. Has anyone ever ordered something online in a, on a website? You've ordered some toy for your kids or maybe you've, maybe you've ordered one of those amazing things off TV that's going to make you skinny in three days. And, uh, or maybe you've ordered something on a little catalogue and it comes and you're so excited about this thing that's coming in the mail, you see the package arrive with the, the, like the guy in the van, and he brings it to the door, and you're going, yes, it's here! And you open it up, and you look at it, and you go, that's not what I wanted, that's not what I expected, that's not what it showed me in the picture. And basically, in Luther's day, and even today, there are people offering these amazing things, this, this amazing life we can have, through a, a certain way of order, order this, do this, and you'll have this, but they don't have the freedom to do that because they aren't God. The church made up rules and said, if you do this, we'll give you this. If you pay your indulgences, we'll reduce your time in purgatory. That's not right in the first place. But they had no right to give it in the first place. People were told, you, you have to have someone come and do last rites so that you can be free from your sin. But no person has the, has the authority to, to, to reduce a time, someone's time in hell or to, to set someone free from sin. It's faith in Jesus Christ that sets us free. And this morning, we're going to look at some of the scriptures that Martin Luther read. We're going to look at some of the verses that talk about why the Bible teaches faith alone and how faith alone is what sets us free. You know, there's, there's three ways of thinking we can uh, align ourselves to. I would say, you can say there's a fourth if you'd like, or you can tell me I'm wrong if you think so. But I think there's three ways people can think. People can say, "Okay, I deny God's existence. I don't believe in a heaven or hell. I think it's just about having a good life, doing, a, being a good person, and that's over." That's one way of thinking. People can deny God's existence. Uh, Whoops. People can have build a ladder theology. In other words, God is up there, we are down here, but if we climb enough rungs, if we do enough good things, if we sort of climb far enough out of the pit of hell, we won't be burned by the flames. It's, it's the idea of we can earn God's forgiveness. If we are mostly good, we'll get up the ladder far enough to reach God. And it's a wrong way to think. It's not godly, it's not biblical. And you know, even as Christians, we can slip into that way of thinking sometimes, that we have to do something good to earn God's forgiveness, that we won't forgive ourselves because we're, we're not worthy of God's forgiveness. Well, there's a third way that a accept-or-lift theology, if I can call it that. Imagine there's three people who fall into a pit, and they're all in this pit, there's no way out. The first person says, you know what? I don't believe we're in a pit. We're just here to have a good time. And they stay in the pit the second person says right we're in this pit but i'm going to climb my way out i'm going to it's a little bit like we all like to be the climber ladder type person it's like i shall do this in my own strength who's that guy on tv that could just used to be able to do anything um that that guy too um (laughs) i should have um macgyver macgyver he he could get two toothpicks and he could build a ladder out of it 200 meters tall it's like, we want to be like MacGyver. I think that's why that show did work so well. We want to be a person that can, can do amazing things from nothing. We want to build a ladder and make our way out of that, that, that pit and look like a hero. Because you know what then happens? The other person down the pit has to go, please help me. And we go, oh, I shall help you. And it makes us feel good, doesn't it? If we look like the hero... And in that sense, if if we have built a ladder theology, we have a mentality that someone is the authority that I have to find out how to be free. And that was a mentality that had come into the church at that time. It was do these things and you will earn salvation. But there's another way to be free. And that's for the third guy in the pit who says, I have nothing I can do to get myself out of this pit but he sees that there is a God above who loves him, who reaches down and he accepts his hand, he accepts the lift. And it's only by God's grace, but he accepts that gift and he's set free. And God is offering his love and his grace and his forgiveness for us. And all we have to do is accept his forgiveness. It's accept-a-lift theology in my terms today. But I want us to look at the book of Romans that uh, Luther Began to read as we talked about last week, and his whole world was transformed. Romans chapter four verse one, it says Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. So this is Paul speaking, who was born a Jew. What did he discover about being made right with God? So we're talking about how are we made right with God? If his good deeds made him acceptable to God, this is Abraham. He would have he would have something. He would. He would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the Scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. In other words, you work for a day, you get a day's pay. You, you, you climb the ladder for a day, you get a, a payment for the work you've done. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy, or blessed, some translations say. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy, what blessing for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin if we understand that God has forgiven our sin, if we understand that He has put our sins, He has removed them as far as east is from the west, if, if we realize that the, the Lord, God Almighty, has cleared our record of sin, what joy fills our heart. There is no greater blessing than to know that God is for us, that He has cleared our record of sin, and to know that it is done, it is finished, it is dealt with. If I, I, I've got to be honest, as I was looking at this whole message last night, I was getting so stirred up. I kept waking up the baby. was like, <laughs> like, shh, Andrew, just calm down. And I was like, oh, I'm passionate about this. This is amazing. This is the best thing you can ever know. This is the good news. This is the, the good news that changed the world from the Reformation. For the last 500 years, it's still been changing the world. Today, it is changing the world. The message of the gospel is going into nations that have never heard about Jesus before. And they're saying, are you serious that God loves us? He cares about us. And simply by trusting what Jesus did for us, we can be set free? That is amazing. It's the best news we can ever know. Forgiveness is received by faith. Sola fide, faith alone. Forgiveness is received by faith. It's nothing you do, you don't earn it, you can't, you can't unearn it. It's by grace that we are saved. But then the question comes, well, can anyone have this? Or maybe there's some requirements, is there some, is there some limits to who can accept this? Let's keep reading. It says in Romans 4 verse 9, Now is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? At the time, that was kind of like the good people and the bad people, the God's people and not God's people. I wonder what clarifications we might have. Of is this for people who go to church or people who are not go to church? Is this people that are scared of rats or not scared of rats? Is this people for I don't know what the classification might be today. He says, "Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith, but how did this happen?" Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Knowing that that was the the sign of the covenant that God instituted with Abraham. Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. In other words, God didn't wait to see if uh, he would follow through on the covenant he made with him before he saw his faith and declared him righteous. It was faith that came first, and then because he had faith, he trusted in God, he followed through with the command God had given. The command didn't have to be done before he had faith. I wonder... I wonder what would have happened if Abraham hadn't followed through with the circumcision thing. It's like, okay, God, yep, I have faith in you, I have trust in you, and they make this covenant. But then Abraham goes, but that's crazy. I'm not doing that, God. But he didn't. He had faith in God. God counted his faith as righteousness, and he obeyed God. Let's we'll keep reading. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith, but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. Just to clarify, righteousness is something none of us has. None of us are righteous, the Bible says. We are, we are sinners, we are, we are born into sin. We all turn our back on God, we all ignore what He's commanded. We are not righteous, we are not pure, we are not blameless, we are not without fault. But through faith, God gives us His righteousness. Righteousness. They're counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. You know, baptism and, and confession and uh, what are the things like, circumcision, last rites, being good, they were all the things that were, they were told they had to do to receive salvation. But it's, it doesn't lead to salvation. Doing those things alone does not lead to salvation. Mo, most of those things are good things. Getting baptised, it's a good thing. Confessing, yeah, the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. Uh, circumcision, well, don't need to. Last rites, well, it's good to pray for each other, but forget about that. Being good, well, that's a good thing. There's good things there, but those things don't bring salvation. It's faith alone that brings salvation. What Paul is saying is, Abraham was counted as righteous because of his faith. But his faith also led to his obedience. And right about there is probably a good time to turn over to James. Because James has some things to say about faith. James says this, and he's talking about... uh, God's mercy and how we should show mercy as God has shown us mercy. And then he says in verse 14, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, even the demons believe and they tremble in fear. Belief is not enough. How foolish... Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the Scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Uh He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. I'm going to come back to that. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. She trusted that God was the way that she was going to be set free and not the power of her her army She trusted in God and stepped out in obedience to that. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. I just want to skip back to that last verse. It actually says, We are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. That's the whole title of my message. Faith alone is what saves. But I want to say that what James is saying about not being by faith alone is not what Paul is saying that It's not opposed to what Paul is saying about it is by faith alone. What Paul is saying, sorry, what James is saying here is saying if we have faith, but it does not change our life, if it does not change our actions, if it does not change our heart and the way we live, it's not true faith. If we have faith and it doesn't change who we are, it doesn't change anything about us, that faith is dead, it is useless, and it is not true faith. James is saying a a, a true faith is a faith that, as Jesus said, he said on the day of Pentecost when when the apostles were asked, what what should we do? They said, repent, believe and be baptised. There's a faith that rose up in them that the faith had steps of action to follow. And faith in Jesus is about saying, I believe you are the way, the truth and the life. Faith in Jesus is about saying, I'm trusting in you so I'm going to follow you. It's not just trying to get a ticket and saying, yep, I've got faith, so I can do what I want now. It's about turning away from living for ourselves, about trying to be our own God and saying, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live a life of faith. I'm going to go after you. Now we stumble, we get off track at times, we we, we struggle to, to be that person, but faith gets up and keeps going. Faith doesn't fall down and say, well, I have to give up now faith endures forever what James is saying is faith without action is dead but we are saved like Abraham if we put our faith in God and walk it out let's move on genuine faith is revealed in our actions if we have faith it changes our lives I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, I, I, I put my faith in God. I didn't understand what was going on in my life at the time, and I've shared this, with this plenty of times before, but my life changed. People noticed I was so full of joy. They said, why are you happy so much of the time? And I had friends that had competitions to see if they could try and make me frown. And it's like, I was just happy because faith changes us. Like Mandy said, have got to get the quote right now, uh, if we're afraid, if we're worried, say it again, Mandy. If we're trusting, we're not worried. If we're worried, we're not trusting. If we have faith, we don't need to fear. If we have faith, we don't need to worry. If we're worried, if we're afraid, we need to come back to who's our faith in. going to just a couple other passages galatians 2 verse 14 and 16 says when i saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel so this is when paul comes to peter and he sees peter kind of going back to the old way of living he says when i saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message i said to peter in front of the others since you are jew by birth have discarded the jewish laws and are living like a gentile Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. I think it's interesting. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Paul comes to Peter and says, you've gone back to the old way of you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. And it's so easy for us as the church to come back to you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. The Roman Catholic Church saw saw Peter as the, the first Pope. And it's interesting, he went back to, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. But Paul comes in and he says, no, it is not by doing this and this and this. It is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Let's not set up some system of law again. It's by grace through faith that we are saved. Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10 says, God saved you by His grace, like we talked about last week. When you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. It's not do good things and you'll have favour of God. It's not pray more, it's not uh, read your Bible more and you'll earn God's blessing. We can get into the wrong way of thinking about good things. We can think if we, if we fast and pray, we'll be blessed. But God wants us to have faith in God, to read our Bible, to pray, and know that our lives will be realigned to Him as we do. It's as we have our, put our faith in Him that we then have the, the, the grounding, the foundation to go on to be the person that God's made us to be. But first, we've got to know that our faith is in Christ, and then we can go on to those things that God has called us to. Just skipping back to Romans, where we started off. Romans 4, verse 20. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever He promises. You might think, faith isn't enough. How can just my faith in Him be enough? But that is the way that God has declared. He wants us to simply humble ourselves, to admit that we need a saviour, that we're in the pit that we have no way out. And if we put our faith in him, he will set us free. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in Him. You can be assured that if you have faith, you are set free from your sin. You have an eternity with God in heaven to look forward to if your faith is in Jesus Christ, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sin and He was raised to life to make us right with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. You know, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it any more, any less than any other person. And God wants us to offer that, that forgiveness, that message of grace and hope to every person we meet for the rest of our lives. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We have the privilege of sharing God's glory. We have the privilege to live a life with God. But we've got to choose which system are we trusting in? Which system are you putting your faith in? Are you trusting in the fact that, well, it's just about living a good life? I'm, I'm, I'm better most of the time than I am bad. Or have you acknowledged that you only are saved by, by God's love and grace? God wants us to accept what He has done for us, to know that we are only saved through faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 11 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your, fa- with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. I used to read that and, and just be a little bit confused, I remember. I, I read it and it said, well, it says, if we believe in our heart, we're justified. But then it says it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved it's only through faith but that faith changes our words our faith changes our actions god wants us to know it to believe it to stand on it but then to live a changed life and tell people about the hope that we have the bible says if we deny him before men he will deny us before the father god requires that our faith leads to us testifying to His grace. God's Word says that we are required as ambassadors of Christ to to stand upon this faith, but to tell others about the good news of the Gospel. Faith is not a passive thing. Faith is an action. Faith is a doing word. But by faith we all can have assurance in Jesus Christ. I sort of Declare your faith and walk it out. That's my encouragement to you today. God wants you to de- declare your faith. There's got to be a point in your life when you come to that moment and you say, okay, God, I'm going to put my faith in you. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know if I'm gonna, how I'm going to go at this, God. I, 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 but I want to live a life of faith in you. I want to trust in you. I, I might stumble. I might struggle with this, God. But I'm declaring today that I want to trust in you for the rest of my life. There has to come a day, there has to come a moment, there has to come a point where we choose who our faith is in. And we might struggle, but let's keep walking it out until the day that we reach the end of our lives. Just to read that verse again, in verse seven, it says, "Oh, what joy! I should have put the amplified up version up there, so it talks about, "Oh, what blessing, Oh, what happiness, Oh, what unlimited grace for those whose disobedience is forgiven." whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy, what pure joy and peace for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. There is no other way to be saved, but through Him we have assurance. We have the greatest news the world can ever know. I was going to ask if the band would come, and I just want to pray. God, I just pray that you would give us boldness to declare who our faith is in. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Maybe there's some here today that they they know that they can't earn your forgiveness, but it's a big step to put their faith in you. God, I pray that you would help each one of us to put our faith in you. We thank you, Lord, that You have done it all upon the cross, that we are saved only through faith in Jesus, who who took our sin upon the cross, but who rose again victorious, and that we too can share in that victory simply through faith. And God, I pray that you would help us to walk it out, help us to, to declare it, to let our faith in you change our lives. Help us, God, to have boldness to tell other people about the hope we have in you, about the the fact that they can be set free from their sin as well. Lord, in a time when confusion reigns, help us, Lord, to stay, stay true to your word. Give us a, a joy and a, a passion to read your word and to know what is true and what is right. Lord God, we just thank you for your amazing grace, your amazing love. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be people that share that with the rest of the world for the rest of our lives.